The scripture reading this morning will, will be taken from Matthew 6, verses 7 through 14, if you'd like to follow along. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. morning. We are glad to be together this Lord's Day. We're thankful for the good number that we have with us today. We hope that you will be taking out your Bibles to study along with us from the Word of God this morning. We'll be looking at the text in Matthew chapter 6 that we just heard in our reading. Hope that you will have your Bibles turned there as we begin studying. If you're visiting with us, we're especially grateful for your presence this morning. You are an encouragement to us. We hope that as we worship God, that you have been encouraged as well. We hope that you will get to stick around a little bit after the services have concluded to get to visit us a little bit longer. Uh, the Bible, it teaches us that we should pray. And as we have just heard in Matthew chapter 6, in the teaching of Jesus, where He teaches His disciples how they ought to pray. He teaches them some of the mechanics, if you will, some of the things that they ought to say, some of the things that are good to pray for. And this is very instructive on how we should pray. In the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul tells us that we should pray always, pray without ceasing. And when you think about prayer, it is the expression of our faith and our trust in God. That He is going to hear and answer our prayers. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter says, For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears attend to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And when we pray to God, we are fully trusting in Him to hear and answer the request that we bring before His throne. Now that doesn't mean that we will always have every request answered but that we come to Him expecting Him to be able to do something, at least to offer consolation, to offer encouragement to us, maybe while we are struggling and in our trials. And in Matthew chapter 6, as Jesus is teaching the disciples how they ought to pray, we actually learn a great deal about our Father in heaven. We learn a lot about who He is. We learn a lot about His character. And that in this model prayer that we have before us in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to see some of the examples of how God is our Father in heaven. 
and how we ought to recognize Him as such and that we need to learn to trust in Him, to see His goodness, to see His holiness, and how we should be able to rely upon Him as He can help us as our Father who loves us dearly. And the first thing that we see is that, or that we need to understand about prayer and that Jesus is trying to correct in Matthew chapter 6, as he says there in verse 7, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do or as the heathen do, where they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Prayer is not this highly formalistic, ritualistic, religious activity. It's not just about an act of saying words just to be heard. That presents us to a God that is cold and distant from us. That's not at all what prayer is. And if that is our understanding of prayer, then I hope that we can begin to allow Scripture to change our understanding of what prayer is. Because Jesus is encouraging prayer as a deep communion with God because of a loving relationship that we have with God. He says in verse 9 there, Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven. The fact that we are able to address the Creator of the universe as our Father should promote in our understanding and our, our dealing with this practice of prayer is that we have a relationship with God where He offers His love, His guidance, His protection to us. Effective prayer is not this complex ritual, but it's a cry of faith predicated on an assured relationship with God. And I think many people stumble over this idea of being able to understand God as a loving Father because of some of the problems with our society. Then you, a couple of statistics that are worthy of our attention this morning. According to the U.S. Census Bureau in 2021, 18.4 million children, 18.4 million children, one in four, live without a biological step or adoptive father in the home. Think about that. That's a lot of children that don't have a father figure. These numbers would fill New York City twice and Los Angeles four times over. The rate of abuse and neglect in single parent households is 27.3 children per thousand versus the rate of abuse and neglect in a two parent household, which is 15. children per thousand, according to the CDC. These statistics ought to alarm us, but it is no wonder, based on just these two statistics alone, that the world is in the shape that it is in. Because we are raising children without fathers. And that is a problem. But more importantly, we are a society and a culture that has gotten rid of understanding who God is, that God is our Father. And so we have 
no earthly fathers that we can look to, and we have gotten rid of our spiritual, heavenly Father that we need. And so it is no wonder that the world is going in the direction it is we need fathers who will step up and lead. We need fathers who will teach their children and be involved in the home. And thankfully, we have a perfect Father in heaven that provides what we need regarding our spiritual needs and even some of the physical needs that we will see as we study. But what we will see is a sharp and distinct contrast between God's fatherhood and those who fail in their responsibilities as a father because in this prayer, as Jesus is teaching us, God is our Father in heaven. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus has been doing, He is showing us that God is our Father. If you go back to Matthew chapter 5, all the way back to Matthew chapter 5 and in the Beatitudes, Jesus says He is giving the Beatitudes in verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This is talking about this child-parent relationship that we can perceive ourselves to be in with God. In verse 16 of Matthew chapter 5, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Your Father. In Matthew chapter 6 and in verse 1, Jesus Again, as he is beginning to address some of the practices of the Pharisees, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. In verse 4, so that your giving will be in secret and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In verse 6, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus' point is very clear that your Father sees what you're doing. And based on your actions, based on who you are as a child of God, as a citizen in the kingdom of heaven, you have a relationship where you can address God as your Father. That is something that is so encouraging that we need to think deeply about that. Praying, as Jesus is trying to address and, and correct some of the things that were going on in prayer and some of the misconceptions about prayer. In Matthew chapter 6 and in verse, eight, verse 9, He says, Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Now we need to understand and give reverence and honor to our Father in heaven because He is a holy God. He is a perfect God. He is a God, as Jesus says, who knows what we need before we even ask Him. Praying is about that faith that we have knowing that God is capable of knowing and providing for what we need. Prayer is not about feeding God's ego. Some fathers like that. They like just having their ego inflated. But that's not what God seeks. Prayer, and the purpose of prayer, is not to exercise the tongue. It's to exercise faith. 
Prayer does not inform or remind God of anything. It is instead worship to God, and it serves to cleanse the mind, purify the heart, and align oneself with God's will. That's why we seek to turn to God in prayer. And therefore, the only right and appropriate response in our faith is to give Him honor and reverence that He is deserving of. As He tells us there in verse 9, Jesus says that we should hallow His name. Hallowed be Your name. That we recognize God's holiness. We recognize God's character, His name, for His attributes, for all that He is, His power, His authority, His goodness, and His grace. When we approach the throne of God in prayer, that is what we are coming to acknowledge. We recognize who God is and what He has done for us. And while we pray that God's name be honored, it can't just be words only. We honor God's name not just through our words, but also through our actions. Which brings us to the second point in Jesus' teaching here about prayer. As He says in verse 10, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now we honor God's holiness and we honor God's name by doing the Father's will. That kingdoms that are established. They have kings. They have laws. They have citizens that submit and obey. The kingdom of God is no different. As Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom of God since Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4 and in verse 17, when Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And throughout the the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is trying to shape and pattern our understanding of what it means to be a citizen in God's kingdom. Citizens of God's kingdom are to recognize God's rule and His power and His authority. And we are to be obedient as such. And disciples are supposed to mirror heaven's actions. Notice how Jesus Phrases this in verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That we as disciples and as citizens of God's kingdom, our objective is to live out God's will here on the earth. That we are to be the ones who reflect heaven here on earth. The Old Testament is filled with pictures of God reigning in heaven. And that the earth as His subjects and the people on earth are subject to Him and should obey Him. In Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 1, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. And you have here set up for this idea that God is reigning as king. 
invite you to turn over in your Bibles to the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 15. In Exodus chapter 15, as the children of Israel had crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, and as they had seen the waters come back over on the Egyptians and swallow them up, in Exodus chapter 15 and in verse 1, There it says, Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for He is highly exalted. And that idea of being exalted is that He has ascended to be on the throne. That He is the King. The horse and its rider He has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. And He has become my salvation. This is my God. And I will praise Him, my Father's God. And I will extol Him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is His name. Pharaoh's chariots and His army He has cast into the sea. And the choicest of His officers are drowned in the Red Sea. In verse 6, Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And continuing on down to verse 11, Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? His majesty. That God is described here in terms that would show us His majestic power, His authority, and all that He is capable of doing as this warrior king who fights for His people. Who would not want to serve a God like that? That is powerful and strong and capable of offering protection for you. Something that we will come back to as we study this morning. But you see very clearly that God is described here in language that would fit a king. And if he is a king, then we are not the king. We are to submit to the king. That was a principle that Gideon recognized whenever he was offered kingship in the book of Judges. He said, no, I'm not going to rule over you. My sons are going to rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Gideon understood at least while he may have had some other misconceptions and other problems, he at least understood this principle, that God is our ruler, the Lord is our King. Remember in 1 Samuel chapter 8, in 1 Samuel the 8th chapter, when the children of Israel wanted a king to be like all the other nations, and Samuel was very troubled by that. He was very troubled by their attitudes and he was confused as to what God would have him to do and God said to go ahead and give them what they are requesting because they have not rejected you but they have rejected me as being king over them and so you see that Israel rejected God's kingship but what are we going to do Jesus teaches us when we submit to Him. Or that when we pray to Him, we are to include our submission to Him. That we are recognizing His awesome power and we are recognizing our lowliness. That He is our King and He 
is the one who should dictate what we do. And knowing God's intrinsic power and His authority, the natural response is our obedience. That is something that we see that's supposed to be reflected even in our earthly relationships towards our fathers on the earth. In Hebrews chapter 12, the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 12 in verse 9, Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? And as we recognize our earthly fathers and we respect them, we should much more give honor to our Heavenly Father. In the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 6, in Ephesians the 6th chapter, and in verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He goes on in verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, our task has been given to us to raise our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, to know God. That is the charge not given to mothers. While they can help in that and aid and assist and be a strong example for that, Paul singles out fathers. Fathers, this is your job. And sometimes along the way, we might have an earthly father who fails us or disappoints us. Maybe we have an earthly father who does not train us in the way that we should go. We still have an earthly father that we need to look to. We need to look to His will. And we need to submit to it. We need to obey His rule and His power and His authority. And even if our earthly fathers fail and disappoint us, I would suggest to you that we need to still be gracious and forgiving as we will see Jesus teaches us to be. As we continue to work through this prayer in Matthew chapter 6, the third thing that we see about God is that He is a generous God. Jesus teaches us that we should pray, give us this day our daily bread. The word give there means to give as an expression of generosity. And that tells us a lot about our Heavenly Father, I would suggest. That God, in, as we make our requests and our petitions known to Him, that His bent, the thing that He wants to do is be generous. He wants to help us. A couple of chapters later, or just one chapter over, in Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7 and in verse 7, Jesus 
It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receive and receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? That God is able to provide for us and He wants to provide for us. He wants to be generous to us. That whenever we ask for food or for clothing or and shelter, God is there to provide and He wants to provide. Jesus says, even some of the, if you imagine the most evil father out there, I'm sure there are some out there who hate their children and despise them. Even they would not, when their son is hungry, give him a, a rock. <laughs> or if they're asking for a fish, give him a snake that can bite him. That's not the God that we serve. We can count on God to provide us with what is necessary to satisfy our needs. And God provides for His creatures. That's a principle that is set forth very clearly in Scripture. If you would, turn to Psalm 104. I want you to notice a few verses here in Psalm 104. In Psalm 104, God is praised and He is worshipped because of what He does for His creation. In Psalm 104 and verse 14, He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the labor of man so that He may bring forth food from the earth and wine which makes man's heart glad, so that He may make His face glisten with oil and food which sustains man's heart. Food is what sustains us. God provides that. I know we are raising a generation, and probably even my generation, we've been raised to think that food comes from the grocery store. We think, well, it's just there. And when we start seeing bare shelves, we're, we don't know what to do. Food doesn't come from the grocery store. It doesn't come from Dillon's or Kroger or Walmart. Food that is grown, it comes from God. In verse 27, at the, towards the end of this psalm, and it says in verse 27, They all wait for you to give them their food in due season. You give to them. They gather it up. You open your hand. They are satisfied with good. God is the one who provides for us. And that when we pray, we come to recognize our dependency upon him that we are depending on his generosity and his kindness that our very life 
is dependent upon God. And thus, Jesus is encouraging us in this prayer that He is teaching His disciples to pray that we are to recognize this very fact that it is God who provides for us. Therefore, in Matthew chapter 6, and at the end of that chapter, He teaches us a very important principle that we don't need to worry about all of these things. In verse 31, do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We need to focus our heart and our mind, our faith on God. And His ability, His power to provide for us. We can depend on Him because we see His generosity. We see that He wants us to be sustained. He wants us to be provided for. And by His sustenance for our daily needs, it proves that there is something greater and even more important than just the nourishment that we receive. That there is work to do in the kingdom of God. And if He can provide for that, then He can provide for us in other things. And we need to trust in Him completely and totally for our guidance. Then one final thing that we learn about our Heavenly Father is that there is protection that He offers us. In Matthew chapter 6 and in verse 12, notice Jesus' words. In this prayer that Jesus is teaching us how to pray and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We can ask God to forgive us. To extend grace and mercy to us. And as such, because we are models of heaven, if you will, on earth, as we see that language in verse 10, that we are to be doing God's will on earth as it is in heaven. We must also show grace and mercy because God has shown grace and mercy. He says there in verse 12, as we also have forgiven our debtors. You continue on in verse 14 and 15, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Receiving God's forgiveness is conditioned upon our willingness to show forgiveness to others. Christians are to be duplicating God's forgiveness. In Matthew chapter 18, after Jesus gives a lengthy parable about forgiveness. 
He comes to this conclusion in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 35. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. There is going to be punishment and wrath and justice if we do not extend forgiveness. But the fact that we can, after thinking about God's fatherhood, after we think about His authority as our King and His rule, after we learn about His generosity, Jesus is also emphasizing another characteristic about God, and that is God's grace that He is willing to forgive. Now, he is willing to forgive and show mercy. I would suggest to you that's also the kind of father that we need to have in our homes. One that shows us and models and exemplifies the grace of our Father in heaven. Something else that Jesus addresses is that God is able to protect us from the evil one. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 13, as we pray to God, we ask Him to not lead us into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. James teaches us very clearly that God does not tempt anyone to sin. In James chapter 1 and in verse 13, James says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and He Himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Sin occurs when we give in to the lure, the enticement that Satan is dangling in front of us. And what Jesus is trying to help us see is that the prayer that we are to be offering before God does not contain just a request for forgiveness. It does have that. But it goes even a step further to ask for God to protect us, to help us not be led into temptation. A request for aid to help us avoid temptation and evil. You think about good fathers as... as Jesus went on in Matthew chapter 7 talking about that father, that evil father would not give his son a snake when he asked for a fish. Good fathers don't throw their children to the wolves and say, now you have to fend for yourself. That's not what our God does. Through His help and by His grace, He can forgive us our sins and He can guide us by His words, in the ways of wisdom. And when we are forgiven and delivered from sin, and from the evil one, we are made perfected to be like God. 
as Jesus is talking in the Sermon on the Mount, He tells us our objective as kingdom citizens. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's not perfect in the notion of being sinless. It's perfection through forgiveness. As fathers, we are told that as we are instructing our children, as we are raising them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, in Ephesians chapter 6 and in verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, we have to be careful. Because our task in raising our children is so important. We have to be careful that we do not turn our children against the Lord. To not provoke our children to anger. As Paul would say in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 21, fathers do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Sometimes fathers, we can be hard and overbearing arbitrarily. Maybe it's because of our own wounded pride that we forget to show kindness and grace and patience with our children as they are learning, as they grow up. Jesus teaches us very firmly that God's grace is not an excuse to sin. God's grace is protection. God's grace is forgiveness. Fathers, we should never be so hard on our children that they end up hardened against the Lord and turn away from Him. Fathers should not be so easy on their children that they end up allowing their children to do whatever they want them to. Remember that also God is our King. As we recognize in the prayer, Your kingdom come, Your will be done. We should expect obedience. And so our job and our role as fathers is very similar to what God does. There's tension there between grace and justice. Fathers, we need to look to our Heavenly Father to learn how to perfect that. Because we have a Heavenly Father who is dependable, who is a perfect model for us. He is trustworthy. He is generous. He offers His protection and His forgiveness. And He sets the bar high for each and every one of us. As disciples and as citizens of the Kingdom of God, we are all to exemplify these 
character traits of God, but also especially fathers. We can look to God as what we should strive to be like Him. And praise be to God that through His grace and the forgiveness that He offers, that no matter the sin you have committed, God is willing to forgive you. This morning, if you're not living a life that is right in the sight of God, if you have never named the name of Christ and have clothed yourself with Him in baptism, we encourage you to come. Become His child. Accept God as your Father. Submit to His rule and His obedience. And allow Him to wash away your sins, forgiving you, making you clean clean and holy. If you have made that commitment to following the Lord, but you've not been living faithfully, you've gone back to sin, and you need God's grace and His mercy to forgive you, we'd implore you to come before it's eternally too late. If we can help you in some way, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?